0: The scripture reading for today can be found in Matthew chapter 19, 27 through 30. Matthew 19, 27 through 30. I'm going to ask that you would keep that open as we uh, look through that text today because we will actually be looking at parts from 16 on through. So if you're in the room or watching from home, uh, open up and follow along. Starting at verse 27, we hear from Peter. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. As we uh, begin this, we're talking about the issue of regeneration this morning. But before we kind of define that, we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now, let me start with a story That won't seem like it uh, exemplifies regeneration, but I'll make something of it here. That is, uh, a number of years ago when I uh, finished my first year of college, I went to a Bible college for that first year in Alberta. Um, Dr. Garrett Hope that was up here was part of this too. He's waving from the balcony, but nobody can see him. But uh, Garrett and I were part of a, a group traveling around at the end to go promote the school. and We were a small singing group that went around. And at one point, uh, we were in western Kansas, just about to the end of our route, and uh, in rural western Kansas had done a a show that night, we were going to our host homes for the evening, I went to the Parsonage uh, with a couple other guys, and uh, the pastor and his family had recorded the very final episode that night ever of Seinfeld and they had VCR you know, videotaped it and recorded it and wanted to know if we wanted to watch it with them because they were very excited about the last episode of Seinfeld. I had never seen an episode of Seinfeld at that point in my life, and so I said, sure. And if you are familiar with the show, it's got a lot of goofy characters that come in and out of the show, and the final episode of the entire show is all those goofy characters being paraded through in a variety of ways, and it's walked down memory lane. But if you've never seen the show, It's really not very good, that last episode, if you've never seen it. If you've seen it, it's hilarious, it's great. But if you don't know the characters, you're like, this is really boring. I don't get this. I have no frame of reference for why these people matter. Now, regeneration. Regeneration is really a matter of rebirth. Born again is sometimes used. Renewal, that's probably a better word for what's going on in regeneration. And we wanna think, when it comes to regeneration, that we're like the butterfly, which we saw last week in the children's message. The caterpillar turns into the butterfly. And indeed, I think this is one of many ways that God has put into our world uh, a sort of a natural thing in creation that can show what's supposed to happen for growth and getting, becoming more like the image of God. That should have happened, except sin entered into the picture. And so we want to think we're like the butterfly, going from caterpillar to butterfly in this life, but really you and I are much more like the Liberty Bell. We were designed to ring but got a crack very quickly. And we just don't quite function the way we're supposed to fully. And regeneration is fixing the crack, essentially. It's putting it back together as if it were new again. And as we see it, this is uh, this passage is one of two places in the New Testament where we run into that specific word of regeneration. The other we'll see next week in Titus. Um, but Three things that stand out that Jesus does with this throughout the text. And I'm following the line of thought of New Testament scholar uh, Michael Wilkins. I didn't see a reason to reinvent the wheel because he just lays this out in three simple points so well. He says what Jesus is saying in regeneration is that there's a new existence, and he's talking about that in this text, that the way you were born is not what you'll be in this regeneration. Like there's something that's broken in there. So you become something different than how you started like the caterpillar to the butterfly, in a sense. There's still some of those original components, but there's something different. Secondly, the regeneration that's talked about here is entrance into God's kingdom. We know we won't fully get there until the end, but the the beginning of that starts now, as we follow Jesus. And the third thing in that regeneration is being saved, quite simply. Being saved and being plucked from the curse of sin. The bottom line of all this, and the point that we can make today, and we'll make it in a few different ways, is that regeneration is preparation for god's kingdom that's what when we say yes to jesus and we follow jesus the regeneration begins through the power of the holy spirit and regeneration is preparation for entrance into god's kingdom that's what's going on so if we look back at verse 28 jesus said to them truly i tell you at the renewal that's the word that would be regeneration at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. My translation has renewal as the word. James uh, actually has regeneration. The revised standard has new world. All of them are getting at the same point. I think renewal kind of points us really nicely where we want to go. The renewal that's being talked about here is like the new heaven and the new earth. It's cosmic. It's creation-wide that Jesus is on about, that's what's going to be renewed. Everything that God created has that opportunity to be renewed through Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll talk about the individual ramifications, but Jesus is talking about something very big when he's talking about renewal here. And he's talking about eternal things when he's talking about renewal here. And in Jesus' day, eternal things were a hot topic. That was a very important thing for people to discuss, and they discussed it regularly in Jesus' day especially those who were devoted to following the law. So you'd see both before and after the time of Jesus, uh, rabbis talked very much about sort of two categories of this age and the age to come. Jesus uses some of that very same language, this age and the age to come, things now and things eternal, what God's going to do for those who are in him, who are being renewed in that image. That's what they're talking about. Now on a practical level, the way that the rabbis... Uh, around Jesus' day, actually fleshed this out just a little before. Interestingly, in the commentary called the Talmud, the commentary on Scripture that the rabbis kind of did a running commentary, it's a very good point. They say, this world is like a vestibule before the world to come. Prepare yourself in the vestibule that you may enter into the hall. That is to say, it's like when you walked into church this morning, if you're here, you walked through the narthex, you prepare in the narthex, to enter the sanctuary you walk into a store you walk through one place and you warm up you get the cart whatever and you prepare to get into the place that's what they're saying this world this age to come this age now is the preparation for the age to come they were thinking about things eternal and so we can get that in mind as we encounter then jesus encounter with this rich man this he would be a pharisee that he talks to just before the passage we read this morning So if we skip back a little bit to verse 17, this man has come up and he's asked, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus in verse 17 says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. 613 commandments, this man, uh, Jesus names a couple and he says, yeah, I've kept those. And in fact, there were uh, people in this sort of Pharisee class In Jesus' day, who would have very much claimed that? Yeah, I'm keeping the commandments. I'm doing it. I'm following what I'm supposed to be doing. And the intent of keeping the commandments was to be righteous, because God is righteous. God is good, Jesus says. And if you want to be close to God, you have to be good. You have to be righteous. And the way that that's been outlined is to follow the law. Now, we know that you can't follow the law completely. Paul points that out quite well. Really, the law illustrates that we can't do it on our own. We can't. We aren't God. We're never going to match up. Sin is just too big of a problem in our lives and in this world to make that happen. That's why Jesus needed to do what he did. But the intent, and this, this guy gets it at least, the intent is to prepare through the law for the age to come. That's what they were doing. It's the vestibule, it's the entrance to step in and start becoming like who you're supposed to be when you stand in glory with God and enter his kingdom. So on the positive side, I think we need to commend the man He's got at least the right idea, right? He wants to be right with God. And that does raise an interesting question that you and I can ask about ourselves as a regular check-in. Do I want to be right with God? Do you want to be right with God? Uh, Sometimes I think we think the answer is correct, but I think our lives illustrate something different. It's a good question to directly ask ourselves. Do I want to be right with God? He's asking the question, at least. We can say that positively. But Jesus tells us there's only one who's good, And we need regeneration to be like that one who's good. We'll never match up otherwise. The law won't cut it. It won't do it. And so regeneration is preparation to be made good again, like God. Second passage we can look at when we talk about regeneration here, verses 23 and 24. Quite possibly one of my favorite illustrations of Jesus. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let's be clear. There are a lot of untruths that have been thrown about this one and sort of people trying to make something different of this than what it actually says. Jesus said, camel, eye of the needle. He means a camel, the animal. He means a needle, tiny little needle. That's the point of the illustration. There have, for centuries, uh, been, and and preachers have preached it, uh, this idea that there is a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of a needle, that if it was short enough that if you took off all the load off the camel and got them to crawl down on the knees and get through, and then reloaded, you could get through. There are other different ways that people try and mess around with this particular passage, but the point of Jesus is, you can't take it with you. The point of Jesus uh, that he's saying here is riches can't buy salvation and riches won't go with you. That's not what does it. That's not what earns you your place before God. At best, the money that you can accrue in this life, he says, can or we, we can take from this and other parts of scripture, can be used to, to become more virtuous if you use it right. It's generally neutral. And at worst, it's used for vice. It pulls you farther away from God. But on, on his face money could do any of those things the money isn't going to buy you salvation and you can't take it with you the issue that jesus is getting at is a matter of priorities here when he's talking to this man what is he prioritizing and here's a a, just a little illustration of how it works to read the gospels when you read the gospels as we're reading in matthew you read the section we're in right now but then uh You want to read what happens before and you can kind of get a broader idea of what happens because the gospel writers are trying to clue us in through how they tell the story not just what what the little individual parts. Because right before this Jesus is sitting and a bunch of little children come running to him and his disciples try and push the children away. Don't, Don't bother the master. But Jesus says no let the little children come to me in verse 14 and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Compare that to what's going on with uh, our rich man here. And I'll quote Michael Wilkins again. He says, The rich man will continue to lack until he becomes like a child powerless, defenseless, and needing his father's influence. Because the kids get it. The kids aren't resting in that wealth, they're not resting in their own abilities when they come to Jesus. You see, this man, he follows all the commandments. Great. But his strength comes from his wealth and his abilities, not his dependence on God. And that's the problem. You can't make yourself good enough to be like God where that goodness has been lost. And it's been lost on all of us, this man included, through the power and effect of sin. Behind all this, again, is preparation. That's really, he gets that he's trying to do that, but preparing for the age to come means learning to be in communion with the king not just looking the part in the world jesus when he says in the sermon on the mount he says some people are going to do a whole bunch of good things in my name and i'm going to say i never knew you i don't think it's because he doesn't know you he'll know people's names he's jesus but it's because they don't resemble other kingdom people They could have done all the right things, but really they didn't fundamentally change from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit and prepare for the life to come. They just looked the part. That's why he's not going to know them. We need to prepare for communion with the king. I'll give you an example of, I think, how this is going to work because I think some people who have prepared, I think people have prepared when they enter into glory, they're going to be elated to stand with Jesus to be in the glory of God. And people who haven't been prepared, I think it's a terrifying moment because they don't actually know what they're getting into. And then there's judgment that comes with that, of course. An example, uh, back at the first church, we ser- I served in Indianapolis. We uh, worked with a group of adults with disabilities as part of that uh, ministry there. And uh, they got invited to do a bowling tournament um, with a bunch of professional bowlers and ESPN was gonna do the bowling tournament the next day. So we went and you know, all the cameras are set up and the, you know, the pros are going back and forth with all these uh, friends of ours who are adults with disabilities who are just having the time of their life just bowling. And we got to watch from the stands. But we're in Indianapolis, so the Indianapolis Colts mascot was there, this big blue fluffy thing. And uh, we've got a two-year-old with us and as we, um, we're looking from a distance, we're like, hey, do you wanna go see the mascot? Yeah, that sounds cool. Well, from a distance, it's like this big, right? But to a two-year-old, all of a sudden you get up close and that two-year-old starts hiding behind you because that thing is kind of big and scary when you get up close. Even though it's like doing the bobble around and trying to give high fives, we got a terrified two-year-old hiding behind your leg. So for some people who haven't prepared, that's what meeting God's going to be like. We actually don't know what we're in for. But for those who prepared, they're excited for that day. Any amens on that one? Man, bring it on. Regeneration is preparation for being with God in his kingdom. Third thing we can catch. Verse 25. Here the disciples speak up. After they hear this kingdom, uh, eye of the needle example. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? This guy looks the part. He's doing all the commandments. He seems like he's made it in the world. Who then can be back in 2014 when the incidents happened in ferguson with uh, michael brown and the shooting that happened there locally uh, there were a few african-american leaders and some church leaders specifically in lincoln that gathered with the chief of police and said can we make some adjustments to our protocols in lincoln to make sure that our african-american community feels safe in any instant with the police, just to check the protocols. And the police were completely on board. The chief of police said, absolutely, safety's our thing. Let's do this. And through multiple meetings, they kind of revised the protocols and said, uh, and, and there was a satisfactory conclusion of, you know what, this is gonna help. This is gonna help. We face a lot of problems in this world of ours. We face injustice, we face evil, we face sin. And there are some problems that we can fix. But we can't fix the root problem ourselves. Right? We need to be saved from the curse of sin. Delivered from the curse of sin. Salvation is to the age to come to be plucked out of the curse of sin. and To be remade starting in this life, going into the next life. That's what the Pharisees wanted. This rich man wanted that. He wanted salvation, preparing for the age to come. The disciples wanted that. Jesus came to deliver that. We all need to be regenerated, made new, saved, plucked from the power of sin. Regeneration, as it turns out, is preparation for salvation. It's preparation that begins now. To be remade. Back into the image of our creator through Jesus. Now I want to add one more thing to this, though, because Peter, in verse 27... Peter answered Jesus because Jesus says, you know, with God, uh, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. God can save who he wants to, basically. Peter answered him, and presumably he's speaking up for the 11 as well here. He says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter's making an assumption. We're already in the saved category, Jesus, but what's the end result? What's the reward? What's it going to be like for those who have given up everything? to follow you and jesus then brings in this whole line about judging in the 12 tribes and unless we're in a court of law typically in our culture when we hear that word judgment and we're being judged not guilty we think negative every time we hear judgment so we hear this and we hear negative but actually jesus is saying guess what disciples and anybody who follows me you get to be part of the solution you get to help me put things to right like they were intended like God planned his plan of salvation through the 12 tribes of Israel, you get to help put them back and restore what can be restored. That's your role in all of this. You're part of the solution for the salvation of God's creation. Prepare now. I started off the, uh, the sermon with an example about Seinfeld, and I hope now it makes a little more sense that if you're not prepared, you don't get relevance but if you know the story you get the relevance that's part of the preparation that's going in let me tell you a different story uh, as we close this out and that is uh, in 2016 our family took a trip to Disney World and Universal Studios and all those places in Orlando it was a make trip it was wonderful we had support from you all too and we were thankful for that and it was a wonderful trip but the preparation for a trip like that uh, starts early and you can prepare in sort of two different ways one way that you prepare for a trip in that instance is that you start to pack. You start to figure out what do we need. You start to figure out how, do, how do you get to the airport, all the nuts and bolts. You figure out, and my wife was incredible at doing this, okay, if we're going to be there these days, what do we need to see on this day so we make sure we get to the things we want to see and we're planned out and, and plotted on this amusement park on this day and that. That's one way you plan. The rich man had this kind of plan going on. He had planned this way. He had the physical sort of nuts and bolts of what God wanted out of him planned, but that doesn't really get you at the preparation for who God is and what God actually wants out of you. It doesn't change your heart to do that necessarily. You see, the other level of preparation that goes into a trip like that to go to somewhere like Disney World, I think this is a a great way to think about it, is the excitement to see Mickey Mouse or Ariel or Cinderella or in our case, Judy Hopps from Zootopia, or Goofy, or whoever, name your character. We know these characters. Why do we know these characters? Because for some of us, we've been preparing our whole lives for these moments. We know the stories really well. We can sing the songs, we can quote the movies line by line. In certain cases, we've been preparing. That's a different kind of preparation. That's preparation for the kingdom kind of preparation, and the magic kingdom in that case. We're talking the kingdom of God, when it comes to what Jesus is saying. Jesus, in verse 21, he says, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Which is a hard word to the rich man, because his strength comes from his wealth. And Jesus could say this to any of us, for wherever we find our strength, instead of in God. doesn't necessarily mean all of us have to give up everything wealth-wise, but we can always find things where we put our abilities instead of in God. And that's Jesus would target that if he were talking to us. But Jesus ends it. He doesn't just say, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. He says, then come follow me. And it's in taking up that invitation that we truly begin to prepare, and in following Jesus, our hearts truly begin to change by the work of Jesus regenerating us through the power of his Holy Spirit do the nuts and bolts and we can look the right part but if our heart isn't changing from the inside out and if we aren't getting to know jesus and his story and immersing ourselves in that we're not doing the right kind of preparation we're not going to know and be prepared to be in the kingdom with god regeneration is preparation for god's kingdom let's pray together Lord, it is with gratitude that we say thank you for inviting us to follow you. And it's a simple invitation, but it's the most powerful, the most important invitation we can receive in this life. And Lord, as we consider what that means, let us not think of only this age, but let us think of the age to come and what it means to follow you and to prepare our hearts even now to destroy the old house and put up the new house by the power of your Spirit so that we would not come to the end and we'd hear, I don't even know who you are, but we'd hear, well done. Come to me. You're my beloved child. Lord, for those of us who don't know the saving power of your Son, Jesus Christ, who live by the power of the curse of sin, may this morning be a turning point. And Lord, for those of us who do know your Son, Jesus, and know the power of your Spirit, may this day be a good day to reassess, Lord, How can I continue to give up those things where I put my abilities over my dependence on you? Lord, may we be dependent on you, changed inside and out by the power of your Holy Spirit today. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.